Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 26 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Joining me today for the show is my good friend, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you? I am doing well. I got game five of the Stanley Cup finals on as well. So maybe some hockey talk if something exciting happens. There you go. Sounds good. I had a, I had a, my therapy session earlier today, my latest one, working on a, getting to work, uh, walk with the new leg and stuff. And it's uh, slowly but surely coming along well and taking more steps and stuff and, and just getting more practicing, getting used to it and it's just weird because again, like I, I never thought about it before, but you know, you get up out of your chair and you walk to the kitchen and get a drink or whatever. You really don't put much thought into it. And now it's just like every step is just like this, like long thought process of, you know, kicking the leg out, right. Making sure I have good placement, making sure my body's balanced, making sure I don't fall. And it's just like 8 million things I never thought of, you know? But, uh, yeah, it's going good. And, uh, the best part about it is, uh, my therapist is a smoke show. I mean, it sounds like you got good motivation to walk. So that's always good. Well, the best part is, is like, and I, even, even Christy, the wife agrees. I can't get in trouble with this one because like, (laughs) here's the best part. Cause like she'll stand in front of me and then she'll turn around and she'll go, okay. She's like, I need you to transition your weight like this. And she's moving from side to side, essentially shaking her ass in my face, which I'm like, all righty then. I mean, I appreciate the yoga pants. Thank you. So then I stand up and she's talking about weight distribution and she puts her hands like on my hips and then around kind of half onto my ass, like adjusting my body position. And I'm again, I'm like, I'm doing nothing wrong. This is medicinal purposes. I'm just going along with the flow. So no, it's, but seriously, I mean, it does help. She's good motivation, but uh, she's also very good at her job. Very nice. And everything's been, uh, it's going good. So I can't really complain. I just uh, can't wait till I can like kind of get through the therapy and everything. And hopefully everything becomes a little more normal. Well, again, you've got your, your goal of late November. So we can meet up for, for WrestleCon and take in, Whatever wrestling event they're going to put on, but yeah, mainly whatever. mingle what? with all the all the legends that'll be there, all the legends and Larry Zonka. That's right. So we'll, uh, yeah, should be good to go by then. Hopefully, here by the end of July, I should be getting around pretty well. But yeah, it's uh, it's going good. And uh, you got a G run, G one run in you. You know what? I, I I thought so. I mean, I'm a junior now, and I got called <laughs> for the best super juniors. But uh, Gato said, we don't need you, Zach Allen. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what the fuck, dude? I'm like, Johnny Ace over there. Fuck you. <laughs> so I was I was going to go show my skills, but, you know, they fucking went with Dookie. Yeah, that was a mistake. You would have you performed better than Dookie. I don't know, man. It, it is what it is. I, I, I was discriminated against, but... But uh, we are going to talk best of the Super Juniors finals here. Uh, we finally, tournament came to a close, and it was a hell of a show overall. And we will start off with the undercard, Jeremy, which was Umina, Teton, and Dragon Lee defeating Ren Narita, Jonathan Gresham, and Bandito, just over eight minutes. 
really fun, very good sprint of an opener with uh, everybody getting a little bit of time and Dragon Lee picking up the win ahead of his title defense at Dominion. No surprise that Dragon Lee got the victory here. Uh, they gave the, the the young Lions a little bit of time to shine, which is always nice. They, they had a good tease with uh, Narita potentially pinning Dragon Lee, and right before Narita ended up getting pinned by Dragon Lee. So, I mean, they Narita he didn't win in the tournament, but he you know he was in the tournament and, and that's big in and of itself he got to work with a lot of experienced guys he he had some um i mean he was the mvp of the tournament in my book but he had some really good matches with those guys and he, he looked good here in this three-on-three match and Yumino got some some shine as well so a good as you said little sprint to to kick off the show and nothing wrong with it yeah really enjoyable and yeah and again narita just uh you know, that's, that was the big point of everybody. Like, Whoa, he's not going to win. Why is he in the best of Super Juniors? Like, that, that's not the fucking point. It's like, it's Jesus Literally Christ. only one person is going to win best of Super Juniors. So okay. why are any of these guys in it? Yeah, and it didn't even matter that he didn't win a match. This is essentially like every once in a while when they do the, uh, like a lot of times before guys would go on excursion, they would do like a trial series where it's like matches against named competitors and they're going to get beat like a fucking drum. But it's to see how ready they are and how much they've improved and how good they are. And that's kind of what uh, Narita got here in the whole tournament. And again, yeah, he did really good. I was, I thought he did good. And, um, you know, again, he just needs to work on the hair game. Because did you see the hair on Shota Umino? My man has totally gone to the Tanahashi <laughs> school of hair. Looking fantastic. I guess that is the one thing Umino has over... Narita. Otherwise, Narita hasn't beat in all categories. Don't add me on that. So, yeah, he just he needed work on that hair game. But otherwise, yeah. So, uh, yeah, good start to the show. Didn't have to be anything more than it was. A little sprint. The Luchas did fun stuff. Young Lions did fun stuff. It just worked. Good stuff. So, next up, uh, Bullet Club, which was Robbie Eagles, El Fantasmo, and Taiji Ishimori. Defeated Shoyo and uh, Taguchi. Nine and a half minutes. Uh, thought again was a good match, and uh, this was uh, basically what I expected going in. The um, continued babyface tease for Robbie Eagles, and not only did Bullet Club win to set up a potential uh, junior heavyweight title match, and I know people are like, why isn't that happening on Dominion? It's like, we got three Kazuna Road shows coming up still. They're, they're, we need title matches for those shows, so don't worry, it's going to happen. But the, not only did they continue the tease with Eagles um, turning face, but um, Ishimori and Phantasmo look like they're going to be the team who are going to challenge because Phantasmo stole the win and made it a point to celebrate with Ishimori. So your thoughts? The Eagles potentially splitting from, from Bullet Club continues, and that's fine build there. They With um, El Phantasmo in the mix, and they already had... Ishimori. They don't need three super juniors in their in their lineup, so Eagles can kind of go off and I don't know, maybe be Team New Japan. Um, he's got the connection with with Osprey, I guess, and, and could go to Chaos. But e- either way, the Bullet Club doesn't actually need him. And I, I like the Phantasmo Ishimori team because Phantasmo is a great dick, and Ishimori can be a, a great dick as well. And I mean, they I liked after they they beat uh, Rapongi that they they took the belts and slang them like great dicks over Rapongi. Um, I, I think the the eventual 
Super Junior Tag Team title match will will be fantastic because all four of those guys are really good. Ishimori's got to get healed up. He didn't do anything in this match. I, I truthfully do not recall him getting in the ring. Phantasmo took a lot of the match, which is fine. He was promoted big coming into the tournament, had a good tournament, and now they're setting him up for a for a title match. So overall, not not like an overly long match or anything, but accomplished a lot of things. Yeah, and again, that's a that's one of the things I like about the uh, the tournaments like this and the G one is the, depending it's various degrees of things, but I always like like the little under stories and like this Robbie Eagle story has been really good, especially with like the Phantasma side of it too, because he's like not only is he the new guy in the stable, but like you said, he's just a dick, you know, and it's like you want to hate him, and he's making it very easy to do so. So yeah, it's it's working out really well. Uh, next up, we had Big Tom Ishii, Yano, Yoshihashi, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Tiger Mask defeating the team of Duki Taichi, Kanemaru, Zack Sabre Jr., and Minoru Suzuki. Uh, just over, just under 11 minutes. And uh, your thoughts? A lot of just kind of single pairings with uh, Ishii and, and Taichi and Suzuki and Liger. They're, they're obviously building to singles matches there. And then they they paired off uh, Zack Sabre and uh, Yoshihashi, which is certainly a, a direction. Um, I'm not the biggest Yoshihashi fan. I, I love Zack Sabre. It, that's definitely a, a match that's possible for the um, the, the show in, in London. Um, and I feel like that's almost a waste of Zack Sabre, to be honest, that that's the direction they go. But they, they certainly teased that match um, in in this in this multi-man match. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Overall, again, fine. Probably the worst of the, the matches so far. Just, you know, it was it was to build the, the upcoming singles match more than anything. And, and these New Japan multi-man matches, that's mainly what their goal is. And, you know, again, it accomplished it, but nothing spectacular. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a good little match. Nothing uh, spectacular, like I said, but uh, it was it accomplished the goals, which is building the Tai Chi and uh, Ishii, which is on Dominion. Liger and Suzuki is something they're still building to with no announced date. And yeah, uh, Zack Sabre and uh, Yoshihashi is certainly a choice. Um, I agree. I, I think it's kind of a waste of Zack Sabre, but um, you know, maybe this will be Yoshihashi's one great match a year. Yeah, sure. I mean, still, like you, you've got this big return. Like Osprey is obviously gonna gonna have a, a big presence on that show, and and Saber is their second biggest star in that market, and and he should have a big presence as well. And it's it's. I mean, he's the he's the Rev Pro champion, so um, he he should have a bigger match than than fucking Yoshihashi. All I know is it reminds me of that time that ROH main evented with IWGP US champion Kenny Omega versus Yoshihashi. And nobody gave a fucking shit about that match. Because for as good as Kenny was and as all the cool shit he did in that match, he fucking lit him up with like 900 V triggers and like just nobody cared. Because it's Yoshihashi, man. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Yoshihashi. He's getting used more than Nakamura on television, at least. Yeah, but he still looks like the bastard clone of Okada. Like a bad experiment went wrong there, man. Uh, so, next up, uh, Lij Naito, Evil Bushi, and Sonata defeated Hanare, Togi Makabe, Kota Bushi, and 
Hanma. Uh, ten and a half minutes. Uh, I thought it was a good match again. Lij pretty much always delivers into multi-man tags, and this was our continued build to Naito versus Abushi, and also a win to heat up Evil and Sonata for a tag title match, which we're getting at Dominion. Can't wait to talk about this tag title match when we preview Dominion. Lij wins. Nothing uh, too surprising there. They typically win these multi tag matches against sort of thrown together teams uh yeah naito and and ibushi were the were the standouts as you would expect in this match and it was another just fine multi-man match that accomplished what it needed to without being overly spectacular and next up okada and rocky romero defeated marty scroll and brady king just under 11 minutes thought it was very good crowd was hotter for this one they were really into things well um, I really liked it. The only thing is, is I was slightly surprised and disappointed that they had a caught a pin, uh, Brody King already. I would have had, uh, Marty take the loss here. Yeah, I, I agree with that because like when, when Okada and Brody King were in the ring together, I was like, Oh, this is a cool pairing right here. And they, they worked well together. Brody King, he, visually he looks very impressive with the like when he was in the ring with uh rocky romero he towered over rocky and even with okada like he he just looks so much bigger than these guys but he can still move um not quite like a super junior but but he moves well for a man his size and i was like i wanted to see okada against brody king after this but they kind of you know, they had Okada beat him, and I'm not saying you can't go back and still do that match or pair them up at some point, but I don't know how long Brody King is for New Japan. He's, a, he's pretty much an ROH guy, uh, but it certainly made me want that match, and yeah, I would, I would have had Okada beat Marty. I guess you couldn't have uh, Okada really lose. You could have you theoretically had Brody King pin rocky but then with the the whole aftermath with with jericho and everything like you kind of needed okada to, to sort of stand strong so i understand that but yeah i would have i would have had the victory over marty like we've seen that and it went too long and then uh the young bucks match got cut so i i agree with you it would have been better if he if he pinned uh marty and not not only did he pin Brody king too it was a decisive pin it was like Top rope elbow, rainmaker pose, rainmaker. That's it. Like it wasn't even yeah, like a was... like a drawn out closing where like Brody King got some teases in there or anything. Akata was like, "Fuck you, tattoo boy. We're done." Right. And, yeah. So, but yeah, I was good and entertaining. I enjoyed it. Uh, Brody King had a good tour. Uh, he looked like he was having a good time and he worked really hard. So hopefully, we'll get to see some uh, more Brody King in the future in New Japan. I'd be all for it because, again, he looks visually impressive next to these guys, and he can go. Very good. And, and I'm typically not a Brody King fan, so this this match did a, a lot for him in my eyes. There you go. So post-match, we got a Chris Jericho video asking Okada to come out and play. Said that at Dominion, it's going to be the Rainmaker versus the Painmaker, and that he will win the title. Okada's promo is great because he basically <laughs> said that this isn't this title isn't a toy to be played with, and what the hell is a pain maker anyway? Yeah, and he's like, what the fuck is a pain maker? <laughs> like, we don't need that shit. We got the rainmaker. He's like, yeah, that's right. You tell him, Okada. 
He's like, so, somebody's drunk uncle got into the back and cut a video, man. What the hell? <laughs> so, uh, next up, uh, Jay White defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tanahashi's return from injury. Uh, and not a big surprise, because uh, I thought this was one of those ones you could easily go either way on, because either Tanahashi wins and it's a great comeback, or Jay White wins because he was a dick and one step ahead of him and took advantage of the injury, which is what happened. So um, I think it works, because uh, I think they're the... Again, you're building up more Tanahashi for that G1 stuff, and they're going to tease the run probably heavily again this year. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was that probably their best match. I don't think they haven't had bad matches by any means, but definitely their best match together. I think I thought Jay White's aggression was really, really good here, and something he's been missing. And Tanahashi is so great because technically he's falling apart. He looks like he's falling apart, but then he goes there in there and just delivers, and his selling is so fucking great. I mean, you believe the man's arm is like about to fall off. And, and maybe technically it is. But still, he's just so damn good at what he does. Uh, but yeah, the finish played well into the work that was done all all matched by Jay White, who was attacking the arm of Tanahashi that had surgery. And Tanahashi was looking for the uh, cloverleaf at the end, but Jay White attacked the arm and cradled him. There was a low blow before that. So Jay White, certified asshole still, and uh, picks up a big win. You know Jay White is a bad guy because he's got a heel beard now. He does. My man is growing some fuzz. At least trying to. Uh, I, I really like this match. Tanahashi is always Tanahashi. Their matches keep getting better. And I always like rematches because you can play off of the history of previous matches. Like you go back and you watch the the first Jay White Tanahashi match and that was obviously Jay White's like first big match um returning a switchblade and the, the things were very off between those two and a lot of people walked away disappointed because you know it was Tanahashi at, at Wrestle Kingdom and it it wasn't that great of a match and Tanahashi's not going to get the blame so it's like all right well this Jay White guy I don't know if he's going to work out fast forward 2 years later and maybe maybe a year year and a half later not even 2 years um so yeah fast forward a year and a half later and Jay White is fucking killing it and a lot of that, he, he's worked with a lot of really good guys in, in the past year and a half, but it just goes to show just how much this guy has improved. And Tanahashi can can still go because above anything else, Tanahashi is going to draw sympathy in Japan. And when people see this man's arm getting brutalized, and Jay White is such a great asshole, uh, just attacking the arm, ripping off the sleeve, and just doing whatever he can to, to try to make this man only have one arm, uh, Tanahashi is always going to garner that that sympathy to get the crowd into it, and like it it worked once again. And these two play just so well off of each other. I think uh, I've seen a lot of people say that it was their best match in the series. I, my memory isn't that good, so I, I don't know if it's quite their best match in the series. But it was certainly uh, another outstanding match. And Jay White, and you know, he didn't beat him with the um, with the Blade Runner. He just uh, he he outsmarted him. He Tanahashi went for the cloverleaf. Jay White grabbed the arm, and then he, he rolled him up. And Jay White's countering—we've talked about it before—but this man's counters are exceptional. And usually, it's with the the Blade Runner where he hits it, and 
just kind of out of nowhere almost or counter something with it. This one was just, I'm going to grab the arm and roll you up off of it. And even before that, like this, this guy's really good at countering. And yeah, credit to, to both men. Two exceptional professional wrestlers. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's the best thing is that I feel that their matches have gotten better because that's, you know, Tanahashi's Tanahashi. And we're still, you know, they're still trying to build Jay White into something. In, not necessarily, cause I hate using the, the phrase, but, you know, not Kenny Omega's replacement, but Kenny Omega leaves. That's a big hole in that you had that North American or the Gaijin star. And, you know, with Kenny Omega gone and then Cody and the Bucks are gone and Paige is gone, all this, like, outside talent you had built up. You know, Jay White was part of the system, but he's not Japanese, obviously. So now you're kind of trying to build him. But um, I think the guy that won the main event's going to have something to say about taking the Kenny Omega spot. Because <laughs> yeah, uh, that's for, uh, for sure. we will get to that. But next up was the IWGP United States Championship match. The Death Rider, John Moxley, made his debut, defeating Juice Robinson. 25 minutes, 15 seconds. Jeremy, I thought this was an excellent piece of business. Your thoughts first. It was, first off, it was super fucking weird to see Moxley in traditional trunks. And I know he, he'd use those when he was an independent wrestler and even in FCW and stuff. But he's been in, in jeans for so long that it was weird to see it. I don't know if that continues in AEW because he, he kind of came out. He did the, the Scott Hall look uh when he came out in AEW so we we will see there but it it worked here and then it was even weirder to see Juice Robinson without the dreads and I like the story that they told of you know I'm not CJ Parker anymore I'm gonna cut these things off and you're gonna get a different me and you know it was it's very simple storytelling but you can make it work when uh you you have the story behind it and credit to I I'm sure it was a Juice Robinson call, so so credit to him for willingly cutting his dreads to tell to, to advance the story of this match. Uh, as far as the actual match goes, it was exceptional. Once once again, it, it topped uh, Tanahashi and White. Uh, the the intensity was there in a big way. Moxley is just. You can tell he's having fun again, and, and that goes a long way. He's he's not so much handcuffed by you know what he can and can't do in in wwe um like biting juice's eyebrow to to get juice and uh the table spot juice did a a senton off of the the balcony there fucking overshot and missed oh i forgot to mention this earlier doki were they not catching him or did he just fucking miss on that dive I think it was a he slightly overshot, but nobody made an effort to catch him up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, either way, it speaks volumes because this guy just completely missed a crowd of like ten people, or ten people just decided, "Fuck this guy, and we're not going to catch him." Um, uh, but yeah, Ju- Juice and Moxley, like it, it, it built, it built, it built. Juice kicked out of the the regular Dirty Deeds, and then Moxley hit him with the the Death Rider, which is kind of the the jumping Dirty Deeds. And- uh, Dirty Deeds ninety one, man. <laughs> yeah, and and Moxley got the victory, which is the the right call, and we'll we'll talk about kind of the AEW New Japan thing here in a second. But yeah, it was I had some reservations about this match, and I do believe that people are going to 
overrate the match. Like I've seen people say it's better than Osprey and Shingo, and I, I don't agree with that. I'm not, it was no. obviously a very good match. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think people are going to overrate it a bit based on circumstances. Um, because I mean it's it's John Moxley unleashed, and so people are especially the the anti WWE crowd are gonna be like, Oh, well look at this guy, like he's having just a classic right off the bat. And it was a very, very great match. Uh but I, I don't wanna I, I don't feel like it was it was like a five star classic or anything. And again, we're debating uh quarter stars here it was a fantastic fantastic match i I won't go as saying like it was just the greatest match of all time but it was a just a great great match that certainly like i kind of had low expectations going into it and not not low low but lower than i think a lot of people had and it certainly over delivered on my expectations and it's cool to see john moxley in this environment it made me more excited for more john moxley matches and for juice like He's had some good matches, like the the uh, the Jay White matches were 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 good, and but the, this felt like a, a star making performance for him, even in a loss. Yeah, um, it's it's going to be really interesting just how everything shakes out. But I thought this was really excellent. Um, I was amazed to see that Mox owned fucking wrestling gear. Uh, that was nice to see. It just the fact that, like you said, it was. So different because it wasn't tactical gear, it wasn't fucking jeans, it wasn't a t-shirt. I mean, my man had boots, knee pads, tights, was ready to go. And then he just came on and this motherfucker looked in shape, he looked motivated, and he just, he delivered. And like, I wasn't expecting anything bad, but I was honestly kind of thinking that, you know, I was thinking Tanahashi and White will probably be pretty long, the main event will be long. I was thinking that they would come in and kind of have, like, Moxley go shock and awe and, like, win in under, like, five minutes. Just to play off the fact that he, like, mind-fucked Juice for weeks with those videos and then came in and was too much for him. And then they totally went the other end of the spectrum and just put on this 25-minute intense brawl. And you, you, Moxley's fucking fire was awesome. It's, it just... Kind of that like Terry Funk, Bruiser Brody, Japan style brawling. And then you have Juice just being an awesome baby face. Busted open, refusing to quit, constantly fighting back. And after like all the like the dead end bullshit facing like the Bullet Club for the title. The fact that he got in here with someone that was motivated and wanted to prove a point. Didn't have to face Chase Owens. Yeah, exactly. And I like Chase Owens. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, it's like... You know, no no bad luck valet, no Chase Owens bullshit. But you got Juice here who's also looking to prove himself and that, you know, he isn't that fucking WWE developmental guy. And, you know, people still joke about that. And I'd be pissed if I was him too because he's come so far since then. But then you got these guys that are just in here with this awesome plunder brawl. Different than anything else on the show. Really stood out. John Moxley looking totally reinvigorated, which is great to see. Uh, he's going to commit murder at Dominion and then possibly be announced <laughs> for the G1, and we'll talk about that later. But, yeah, I thought this was just excellent. Yeah, I, I don't have much more to add to that. Like, <laughs> I feel like we've kind of covered everything. And it, like this is who Moxley is was and and can be and where 
I, I'm not saying it's it's WWE's fault because this they present a different product than than New Japan and what AEW uh, will most likely present. In that, like Moxley thrives in these like brawling kind of I'm willing to to kill or be killed kind of matches, and that's you know he he was. That's what he was known for on the independent scene. He wasn't like a, a deathmatch guy per se, but he was about as deathmatch as a like a Joey Janela esque. Like people, I, think, I don't think a lot of people realize that Joey Jim that Joey Janela is kind of a deathmatch guy, and, and Moxley was like that before Janela. And that's like that's who he is, and that's what he's good at. And yeah, he can tone it down and, and have good matches uh, that don't go over the top with with light tubes and all this other shit that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, and, and that's what happened here. Like it, they used a table, a chair, and and that was it. But they they still made it work, and there was the right intensity and the right the right heat for it, and it it all just came together perfectly. And I'm I'm looking forward to now Moxley unleashed on the on the independent scene. Fuck, he's gonna wrestle Janela in the next month or so. Uh, that that should be something. Yeah, uh, definitely made me excited for his post WWE run. That. You know, I mean, it was he had a good coming out at double or nothing, but seeing him in the ring and what he's, you know, looks like he's going to be bringing to the table, man. I mean, easily his best wrestling match since uh, the AJ stuff. You know, yeah, when, not, when he was like, WWE champion, even, and just yeah, yeah, not even close. I mean, yeah, Moxley, and that was the kind of the. This is why I don't think it was really a fit with him in WWE because. His style wasn't really up their alley. He's not like a, a technical wrestler who can uh, have those matches like an AJ Styles or, or a Seth Rollins or something like that. Like he kind of needs a little bit of, of smoke and mirrors at times, but his promo work w- was so good that you could you could mask his sort of lack of, of technical ability. The problem in WWE is they kind of took away his promo work and, and made him good shit pal Goofy Dean and then you take that with the lacking of uh, sort of the hardcore style, and it, it just it doesn't work as all. Well. Like Moxley slash Ambrose could have been Mick Foley esque almost with his promo work and just sort of the style if he was back in the Attitude Era. But in this era, it it just never fit, and that's why on the independent scene he's gonna have more free reign with that stuff. WWE creating stars for other companies. Yeah, and we kind of talked about that too, just on the the way how they let him out of the company without, you know, completely burying him six feet under and kind of just did him a favor with the way he was able to walk away and everything. And yeah, and then he goes out there and throws on this performance and he, he has the big double or nothing debut. And yeah, really interested to see where he's going to go, but definitely a great start to his... uh his run here between like, you know, those videos and stuff. And then, like I said, the double or nothing appearance in this, it's a full steam ahead for John Moxley and pretty fucking exciting. So yeah. So just when you thought Tanahashi and white was pretty fucking great. uh, These, these boys came along and had an even better match. And then we come to the main event, Jeremy and anything you can do, they can do better because (laughs) the dragon slayer, Will Ospreay, Defeated this the man came out with a fucking sword ready to kill someone. 
<laughs> he did. We're not joking. I even posted on Twitter. I was like, Will Ospreay brings a sword to the wing with, ring with him. He's probably going to need it to beat Shingo. Yeah. And he didn't use it to beat Shingo, but yeah, he fucking beat Shingo. He, uh, the Dragon Slayer beat uh, the Dragon Shingo 33 minutes, 45 seconds via pin to win the 26 best of the Super Juniors. Uh, I'll let you go first. The the result was surprising um, because Shingo had been built up all tournament, hadn't lost, and I don't think you could go wrong with with either man. Either you have the story of Shingo hasn't been beat and now he's going to go on to to challenge Dragon Lee. They had a a great match in the finals and – uh, or not in the finals, in the tournament, and, and now you you get the rematch, and so it's probably going to be great, and Shingo is still unbeaten. Or you get Will Ospreay, who comes off the, you know, he beats Shingo, and then he moves on, and he gets his title shot against Dragon Lee. Either way, there there wasn't a wrong winner in this match. As far as the match goes, like, it, it fucking ruled. Uh, the Shingo tried to kind of slow the pace down at first, and Osprey is always talking about like uh, I'm not a not so much a flippy boy anymore. And then he's like, "Well, fuck it. If you're gonna go outside, I'm gonna start flipping again." Uh, they just hit each other with everything. I loved the the ending sequence where Osprey hit a hidden blade, and then os- uh, like a super os cutter, and then Stormbreaker. Like he, he triple comboed that motherfucker to to put him away, and that. It was not only a sweet looking like sequence, but it goes to just, you know, it puts over Shingo because it's like this man literally needed his three best moves to put this guy away. And he knew he needed him in succession that he couldn't just hit one cover, hit another cover and then hit the last one. And OK, maybe this will do it like he didn't want to give him that break. It was just I'm hitting all three of my best shit back to back to back. And that's going to put you out. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Osprey. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I've been on the Osprey bandwagon since we've started covering New Japan. I've said this guy is a top five in the world. He might even be top three in the world right now. He is so fucking good. And Shingo is is up there as well. So just just a great, 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 great wrestling match with Again, one of those matches where it makes you feel something and it, it told a great story. Everything was crisp. The action was there. The heat was off the charts. Just such a such a good match. I think every, you know, we, we talked about it. I think that the big assumption was Shingo goes undefeated, wins the tournament, spends his uh, time in the junior division for a little bit, eventually moves to heavyweight, while the Osprey loss sends him to heavyweight. And what's seemingly happening here is that Will's going to stay a junior but face anybody he wants to because he said that, you know, we lost Ricochet, we lost Kushida, we lost the Bucks, we lost Paige, we lost Kenny Omega, but God damn it, I'm moving to Japan and I'm going to be the best fucking wrestler in the world. And I'm okay with that. And yeah, so I'm not doubting like, this man. Yeah, and it looks like we're, you know, Shingo's is now uh, going to be stepping up to heavyweight starting at Dominion. Uh, a lot of interesting things to make of that. I talked about in my preview that I don't think Shingo is going to be super long for LIJ because I don't see him staying a follower. Um, you have Naito who is either going to get his run or he's going to fall apart. You have Evil and Sonata who are going to want to step up. And then you have Shingo as this fucking beast. But this match, 
Let me go back and talk about this match. Match of the night. Match of the tournament. And as we sit here, June 6th, match of the year right now. I fucking love this match. This was the shit that I wake up at 5.30 a.m. to cover shows for and love. And the funny thing was, is this could have felt like a disappointment. Because there were some big fucking expectations for this one. Everybody kind of had this penciled in as a very highly possible final match. And if we got this final, it's going to be great. And, you know, great would have been just fine. But they went out there and just... It was an amazing effort. And as you talked about in the finish, if this was how Shingo had to take his first loss, doing it against Osprey, after taking everything Osprey had in his arsenal for the most part to do it, that's okay. Shingo loses. He loses in a match of the year contender match, depending on who you talk to. You know, for me, match of the year right now. But they he, he delivers in this awesome match. To where he dug deep. I mean, when you got Shingo pulling out fucking topes and breaking out uh, Made in Japan and shit, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's just, he went full out. I thought the pacing was absolutely tremendous, thought the drama was great, the crowd was, oh my god, down the stretch, the crowd was so awesome. And um, they basically put on a war trying to destroy each other. And as you said, you go to the finishing stretch, and they're just, they're going for broke. They're opening up everything. They, they trade headbutts and strikes. Shingo finally gets, like, the big clothesline. Osprey hits a fucking Spanish fly. Hook kick, hidden blade. Top rope boss cutter, Stormbreaker. I mean, if he didn't pin Shingo there, the man was fucking just, well, he was Johnny Gargano kicking out of the Panama Sunrise on the floor. But anyway, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just like, as you said, he put in like the fucking, the, like the Tekken, like, you know, he strung together the big combo at the end and it's just, yeah, man, if Shingo had to lose and I know there's some people, oh, Osprey won again. Well, you know what? Fucking Will Osprey is one of the best goddamn wrestlers in the world. And obviously they have really big plans for him and he moves numbers and he makes money on ticket sales. And he always has great matches, so I don't see what the fuck the problem is here, Jeremy. Do you? It's not like they're fucking having Yoshihashi coming in and winning this bullshit. Yeah, I I get why people are, like, they wanted to see the Shingo undefeated run, and you can you could get some mileage out of it. At the same time, the guy lost to, to Will Ospreay, who, yeah, one of the best in the world, uh, has improved so much. It does a lot of good business for them, and is even like a good promo and stuff now. Like his promo after the match was was fucking great, and he really is can be that that Kenny Omega guy for them. To where you know he's got a good look. Uh, the the crowd is already behind him, and he can just have great matches every single time against anybody you want. So if Shingo's going to lose, then why shouldn't it be Will Ospreay? That's right. And honestly, I mean, if you're, if you're for some reason taking a fucking dump on Will Ospreay still in 2019, please go back to 2014 with all the other assholes and stay there. (laughs) 
I mean, there are people that just irrationally dump on the guy. He doesn't even have that good of matches. And my, my favorite one these days is, all he does is flippy still. He still hasn't learned how to wrestle. So you have watched no Will Ospreay from the end of 2018 into 2019, where he's dramatically changed his style, put on size, improved his striking, and changed his, you know, pretty much his whole game. Okay, I got you then. So you're not watching. I understand. It's very, it's very upsetting, and and this happens in in all sports where fans, but I, I think more so in wrestling because you see these guys so often and you i don't know you get married to an idea like like in in other professional sports like you have an off season and then you come back and you're like oh i could really see the improvement this guy made in the off season because you've had the off season to sort of come down from your your sporting high or or whatever might be whereas wrestling there is no off season so you're just seeing these guys constantly and you would think that that means oh you know, I can see them evolve and improve over time. But in the real world, it kind of works in, in, in an opposite way where you see this guy five years ago and you get married to the idea of this is who this guy is. And then five years later, you still think he's that same guy, even though you've watched him progress in those five years. It's the same thing with like The Miz or somebody like, you know, The Miz. If you go back five years ago, OK, he is who he is. You look at him now, he, he's a much better all-around performer, but people don't want to give him the credit for that. It's the, the same thing with Osprey. If you watch the five years ago stuff and you see just the gifts and the flips, you're like, all right, that's who he is. But if you actually watch him nowadays, he's he's so much more than that. And it, it's a weird just habit that wrestling fans have, that they, they don't understand that these guys fucking get better. <laughs> like they're, they're not the same guys. And in some cases they get worse, but they're, they're not the same performers that they were three, four, five years ago. Like guys improve guys evolve. And, and that's the beauty of, of wrestling and, and all of professional sports is the, the involvement of these guys. And yeah, Osprey is anybody bagging on Will Osprey at this point, just, they're just married to the idea that this is who this guy is. Even if they're watching, they're only going to see what they want to see. They only want to see the flips. That's all they're going to see is the flips. That's who this guy is. And like, just just be uh, be open to to seeing uh, the, these guys evolve because it happens. Yeah, and the Miz stuff pisses me off too because I think there are times where. Miz does some really very good to great wrestling stuff. And then people are just like, oh, Miz sucks. He's so soft. I couldn't buy him in a real fight. Why do his kicks look like so shitty compared to Daniel Bryan's kicks? It's like, Jesus fucking Christ. It's like, okay, so just because he's not Daniel Bryan or you don't believe you could t- he could take you on a fight or some shit... I mean, it's just like the weirdest fucking shit. Anyways, yeah, that annoys me too, though, because I, I, there are times where I think Miz will do like some really good work, and then you'll you'll head online or you'll listen to a podcast, and for no Ryan reason, this, this fucker's getting yeah, he's getting buried <laughs> for no reason, and it's just like yeah, I was like, okay, you go back to working the stunt family, Chico, and stop bitching about the Miz, okay? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's, again, guys evolve, guys get better. If wrestling had an off-season, maybe people would, would see this stuff. But 
I think just because they're always in your face, you you just get married to an idea and you just can't accept that, hey, this guy has made improvements. Uh, The development actually happened here. So whatever. If if you don't think Will Ospreay is one of the the best in the world, then it's quite frankly at this point you're lost because this guy rules. Yeah, and I I get that it's personal opinion, but to just sit there and spout the Will's a flippy boy bullshit and that he hasn't improved, that's what annoys me. So anyway, we will move on, Jeremy. We got Dominion to real talk quickly, about. Real quickly, real uh, quickly. So Hiromu with the with the tease on, on the Twitter and then nothing. This guy's never wrestling again, is he? And then he's supposed to come back this summer, man. That's the he may even be back at Dominion. The interesting thing about the Osprey win is the fact that even without Hiromu, Osprey instantly has four challengers lined up if he wins the title. Because Robbie Eagles and Phantasmo beat him during the tournament, and then Shingo and Ishimori beat Lee during the tournament. So generally the rule is when you beat the champion during the tournament, you have earned a title shot even if they aren't the champion. So if Will wins, you're going to have four challengers instantly set up, which he should be winning. And uh, we'll talk about that here in a few, but yeah. But uh, I would expect uh, at least an announcement or something about Hiromu at Dominion here, Jeremy. And hopefully that is the case. We'll, we'll see. I mean, Osprey mentioned him in his, his post-match promo. I had, like, th- this is me theorizing and, and sort of fantasy booking here and I am wondering out loud. I wondered if if Hiromu was healthy to come back, if they give Shingo the win and then, you know, LIJ celebrating and whatnot, and then here comes Hiromu. Like, wait, what the fuck's going on here? Like, I, I thought I was the, the junior ace and, and everything, and now you got this new guy, and so you got a little tension there. Um, I mean, obviously, Shingo didn't win, and Hiromu could be healthy, and they just went in a completely different direction. But that that was just something that popped into my head with, uh, when Shingo had lost, and then Hiromu didn't come out. I fantasy booked something there. But I hope this guy is back at Dominion, but I've also been hearing for months now that, hey, he's supposed to be back at this show, and then we, we haven't seen him. Yeah, so we'll see, and hopefully that's the case. So we move on to Sunday Show Dominion. We'll preview now. We're opening up with IWGP US Champion John Moxley versus Shota Umino and his lovely hair. I did. Moxley's going to force this guy to cut his hair too to prove he's he's not a young lion anymore. Um, Moxley, though, Umino will get something because they they like him and, and Moxley knows how to do business. Uh, but overall, Moxley's going to just kill this man. Yeah, I think this is designed for him to largely destroy Umino. I mean, like you said, I mean, he'll probably get a little bit. And in theory, I'm sure if John Moxley felt like it and they were like, well, you know, you know, we'll give you 10 minutes. I'm sure if he wanted to, he can go out there and have a fucking banger with Umino in 10 minutes. Because yeah. Umino's really good. But I think this is largely about establishing him after that title win. Because there have been lots of rumors that he is going to work the G1. So coming in, winning the title, and then destroying a man on like the second biggest show of the year, probably a good start if they're going to throw him in the G1. But uh, yeah, I would expect him to largely destroy Umino and his beautiful Tanahashi-like hair. He should cut it afterwards. Fuck you, bitch. 
You the do not scalp, say that. The scalp collector. Yeah, John yeah, you Moss. want him to cut his hair so he can give it to Narita. <laughs> I see your plan. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually not bad. I do want that. So next up is Shingo versus Kojima. And I'll tell you the one thing that annoyed me right away was on the, uh, I was watching the, the press conferences they were announcing this. And uh, they're like, oh, Shingo gets to face an old man and Moxley gets to face a jobber. Obviously, these are people who do not watch the fucking product. Yes, Umino does not win many matches as a young lion, but he is one of the futures of the company. He is very good. Just because you look at Kojima as an old man does not mean he has no fucking worth. Kojima's a goddamn legend still. He can still go, still has enough of a name, that when Shingo beats him here, and he will, it's going to mean something. So just because you're used to seeing fucking, like, you know, Kane strolling and collect a bunch of money for working a Saudi show and The Undertaker and Goldberg and all these fuckers, you know, come back and do that shit, don't knock New Japan because they have a system of how they use veterans and it works to put younger people over. Because I don't don't see Undertaker doing any fucking jobs for, you know, fucking Ricochet and shit. (laughs) It's, It's a... It's a rebound win for Shingo, and there's completely nothing wrong with that. As you said, I don't get anyone who is complaining about guys looking strong. Like what? Oh, heaven forbid! Yeah, yeah. Like what is is wrong with that? Like squash matches are are great, and this probably won't be like an outright squash. Like Shingo just had this war with Osprey. Kojima didn't work, so. In theory, like Kojima, and Kojima is a veteran who who knows what it takes to to win these kind of matches and, and still has some some cachet and everything. So Kojima will probably get a, a decent amount in this match, and you know Shingo will end up winning because he's a star right now, and and Kojima was a star a decade ago. It, it's dumb that people have an issue with with guys looking strong though, because. And I'm not saying this is just an overall WWE thing because I don't like when everything just has to be compared to, to WWE. But it's just a, a generality in when it comes to wrestling. Guys should look strong. And Yumeno is a guy who is a young lion. He's not going to look strong. Kojima is a, a veteran who is past his expiration date. He shouldn't be looking strong. Moxley and Shingo are the future and the now of of the business. So you put them over on this big show. Yeah, it's pretty simple business, you know. I, I just don't. I don't understand why some people don't get that. It's, you know, it's not like I'm I'm praising New Japan for reinventing the wheel. I'm just praising them for doing something simple and smart, which yeah. is the best booking most times. Keep it simple, stupid. So we move on. Jushin Liger and Yoshihashi teaming up to face Zack Sabre Jr. and his angry Japanese dad, Minoru Suzuki. Uh, This is all about building, as we talked about on the Best of Super Juniors review a couple minutes ago, all about building to the future singles matches. I have all been all about this slow burn to Liger versus Suzuki. They have been so so great. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, um, just sensational. Old men beating the shit out of each other. But like, Again, old men that can go and they know their worth and they lose at the right times and stuff. And again, I mean, it's not like you're going to have Suzuki just beating like, 
you know, juice Robinson 10 times in a row or whatever for no reason. You have nothing for him to really do right now. Liger's finishing up his career. They have some backstory to play off of. This is a great use for both guys. It keeps them in tag matches a lot, less taxing on the body. And then when we finally get to this match, after all of these teases of them trying to kill each other in these tags, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to this match. It's three guys I really like in Yoshihashi, and they're... (laughs) I mean, it's just the truth. I know, um, no, that's what I was going to say too, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know, it, it's they're they're going to tease the uh, the two singles matches, and that's fine. And and as you said, the the Liger Suzuki stuff has been really fun, and it's been yeah, it's it's been it's been good shit, pal. And it'll continue here. Probably won't be like the the most an all spectacular match of all time, but it's going to go in there. It has a goal and it'll accomplish that goal. Yeah. I, um, I think Liger and Hashi will win. I think that, uh, I think this might be where Yoshi Hashi picks up after doing the teases. He may pick up the, the pin here on, uh, Zach Sabre to set up that, uh, singles match again. Not that I'm overly excited for it, but that would be the basic new Japan booking for the scenario. Yeah, that makes sense. And, Sure, Yoshi fucking Hashi. Yoshi Hashi, yes. The bastard clone of Okada. So anyway, we move on. Uh, Six-man tag action. Taguchi, Juice Robinson, and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jay White, Chase Owens, and Taiji Ishimori. Uh, Bullet Club comes in with all the momentum after uh, White and Ishimori won their matches at the Best Super Junior Finals. Juice and Tanahashi coming off of rough losses. Uh, Taguchi didn't make the finals of the uh, best super junior. So he's looking for, to get some momentum here. Uh, if I had to guess, I think this will be the rebound win for either Tanahasi or Juice. uh, blah, excuse me, picking up the pin on good old Chase Owens. Uh, yeah, probably that that's kind of my thoughts as well is that it's a, a rebound match for, for Juice and Tanahashi and, Chase Owens is in there to be sacrificed to Juice because Chase Owens has beaten or has lost to Juice three million times. So what's an, what's another loss? That's right. So coming up next, IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Gorillas of Destiny versus Evil and Sonata. And I know you said you had a lot to say about this, so I will let you go. <sighs> Just the tag teams in New Japan. It's it's literally these two teams. I feel like I've seen this match a million times. It, it's fine because they've got good chemistry. Evil and Sonata are good. I, I like um, Gorillas of Destiny as a team. I I just have no desire to see this anymore. They they've got to do something with the tag team division. Either combine it and have the have the juniors up there as well, so we get some some fresh matches or add to some depth here or do something because I, if I don't see another grills of destiny versus evil and Sonata tag team match again, it'll, it'll be too soon. Just I'm over, I'm over this match. I completely agree. Uh, There is nothing I can say to dispute that. I've long been a critic of the booking of the tag divisions in new Japan. That is easily the weakest part of the product. 
Um, I thought that they were teasing combining the divisions a while ago when the Bucks were still around, and they dropped it, and then they eventually moved them up to heavyweight. And yeah, it's just um, they need to do something, and they need to do it quick. Um, and again, like I've said in the past, like it wouldn't be the worst idea for you know when they're not in singles programs and stuff for like Zach and Suzuki to be a regular tag team because. They tagged together in Rev Pro, and you know stuff, little things like that. And I've also said that like uh, I would not be opposed that a Tanahashi Akata like super team run eventually. Uh, just some different things to mix it up. But yeah, they got to do something. They, I mean, you have they have to. You you have five million multi matches on every single tour, and even on the undercard of of these big events you've got the talent to create some more tag teams, some, some actual sustained tag teams like uh, a Zack Sabre and a uh, Suzuki, like a, I don't know if um, Tanahashi wants to team with Juice Robinson full time, but, but Juice Robinson can, can have a partner somewhere. Um, You, you've got the guys to do this and you've either got to do it or, or combine the combine the divisions so you've got more depth because right now it's literally Evil Sonata and Gorillas of Destiny. Those, those are the only two sustainable long-term tag teams on the roster that anybody can name right now. Yeah, pretty much. So hey, um... the matches should, should be good. I don't know who's going to win. I'm, to me, it doesn't even matter who wins because I don't put any stock into these titles. These titles don't have a real value to me. Maybe Yano will come out and steal them again afterwards. That'd be great. Like, like Yano and uh, Taguchi. Or, yeah, fuck it. Yano and Taguchi. Well, let them be a damn team. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely need to do something to fix the damn tag division. Uh, like you said, unfortunately, the winner kind of doesn't really matter here. I I think Evil and Sonata might win, but I don't fucking know. Yeah, it seems like it's just, all right, we haven't changed the titles around in a little bit, so it's your turn again to hold the titles. Yeah. Uh, up next, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion Dragon Lee facing Best of Super Junior 26 winner, the Dragon Slayer, Will Ospreay. Jeremy. Yeah, Dragon Lee's fucked. Um, <laughs> the, the match will be great because it's Will Ospreay and Dragon Lee, unless Will Ospreay is just completely dead coming into it, but I don't suspect that is the case. Uh, but like, Ospreay's getting the big push, and, and he should, and you, you don't sacrifice that big push by, by having him lose to, to Dragon Lee here. You... You give him the title, you let him face Super Juniors, you let him face heavyweights, you let him face whoever the fuck he wants because he, he's Will Ospreay, and you, you go from there. But he's getting the big push, and he, he should win this match. More importantly, you don't waste the win over Shingo here. Okay? You, you, yeah, you yeah, ha- yeah, exactly. You have to have Ospreay win. And like I said before, his win sets up four guaranteed title matches, and that's not even discussing the fact of Hiromu possibly coming back. And some have been like, well, Dragon Lee needs to stay champion so he can face Hiromu. No, you don't need the belt there at all. 
They have a built-in history. Even before the injury angle, they had a built-in history. You don't need the title for it. So that can happen at any time. It's not a big deal. Will Ospreay should win. And then you got, like I said, you got matches with uh, Shingo, Ishimori, Fantasmo, and Robbie Eagles. And I would imagine that uh, if that's if Will wins, which he should, probably faces Phantasmo at the big London show. And then I would think uh, Eagles at the one Australian show makes you're, sense. You're, you're forgetting somebody here after he beats uh, the last dragon, Shingo, and Dragon Lee. He's got one more man to beat after that. Well, technically two. Bruce Lee, Roy from The Last Dragon, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. But that's Wrestle Kingdom. And Lyoto Machida. Oh, okay, okay. We can work Machida in. Uh, that can, yeah. You know, that can maybe be like a King of Pro Wrestling, a little special attraction. That's right. I'll buy into that. He has ties with the <laughs> LA Dojo. Yeah, he's he's uh he's worked with uh, Nakamura and Daniel Bryan before. I think he lived with Nakamura. He did. Yeah, so yeah. get Loyola Machida out here. Fuck yeah! I want, yeah, Will Osprey slaying all the dragons with his giant sword. <laughs> all for this. Uh, yeah, Osprey. Hey, that's a good point. Like you, you don't waste that Shingo win by having Osprey lose to to Dragon Lee in his next match. You you keep that momentum going. Exactly. So moving on, keeping with the title matches, never open weight champion Tai Chi versus Big Tom Ishii. Uh, you know what? Uh, tai Chi for me, very inconsistent, but he, he does. He doesn't totally suck. <laughs> he sucks. No, he doesn't because he's actually had great matches. Trust I'm me. sure this match will be good. On the whole, Tai Chi sucks. Wow. Yeah. Listen, I'm rough on the guy, but that's... <laughs> I, I understand that he's not fucking Shane Taylor, Jeremy. <laughs> I was waiting for you to make a Shane Taylor joke there. <laughs> I had to wait for it. Got to build the drama for that. No, but uh, Tai Chi can and has stepped up, and his last match with Ishii was great. Hopefully we get more of that uh, Tai Chi here, because when he is in that, uh, as, as uh, Chris Charlton likes to call it, dangerous K mode, you know, dangerous T. Whenever he's fucking like locked in and wanting to deliver, and really dials down to heel bullshit, it's it's I can I can go with it. I can roll with it, and it's usually really good. And Ishii is just like my spirit animal. I wish I was as tough as this man. I want to be this man someday when I grow up. Even though we're like I'm probably close to the same age, but uh, but yeah, I. Uh, Fuck if I know who's going to win. I, with my luck, they keep the title on Tai Chi, but I want Big Tom to win. I said it a while ago when they first teased the, the, the Ishii and, and Tai Chi match. You have Ishii win because I, I don't – the never open weight title is another belt that I just don't put a lot of stock into. It doesn't seem to stay around the waist of, of one – wrestler for for too long and um yeah that that's that it just it just goes away there's no like great um there's no build to it there, there's no like all right this guy finally won like this is a big deal they don't build up the belt at all it just, it just hot potatoes around and so it, it's tough to really care about this belt i think ishii is a guy you put it on him and you finally make people care about this belt because it is an open weight title 
And you can have him face juniors. You can have him face heavyweights. You can have him face anyone. And Ishii is a guy who can go out there and have great matches with anyone. This this should have been essentially the Jeff Cobb role, but Jeff Cobb wasn't uh, New Japan full-time, so maybe they didn't want to commit to him in this role. Like Ishii is New Japan full-time. So put the title on him, have him wrestle, challenge, whatever the case might be, literally anyone at any weight, and actually make this title mean something. I don't know if they'll do it, but they they got to do something to to where this title means a little bit more because right now it's just and it just bounces around and I like I don't care about it. So at least Tai Chi could could give it a little something assuming they keep it on him and they do something with it instead of fucking Tai Chi wins or Ishii wins and then uh, loses it before the G1 or something and then it's just it's the same title it's always been. Yeah. By the way, my big my uh, my man Big Tom is a year older than I am. He's forty three. So that's fine. You can still be him when you grow up. That's right. I can. So it's okay. But yeah, Big Tom should just destroy Tai Chi here, and it would be great. And then we move on to IC IWGP IC Champion Kota Ibushi defending against Naito. These two have had two matches already this year. They have both been excellent, one during the New Japan Cup, one during the G1 Supercard. Ibushi won both matches. Uh, I think they were both uh, match of the year contenders, and uh, it really completed his rise to IC champion and main event guy, pleasing his uh, gods who are Nakamura and Tanahashi. The thing is here is, do you keep that going? Because, I mean, I think the match is going to be great. They're going to try to kill each other. They do every time out. And, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. I can, I can deal with it because I love it. Uh, it's not great for them, obviously, but, you know, they're adults. What am I, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> no, they seriously. Wanna, if, if they want to break their necks for our entertainment, we're not going to stop them. Well, it's just like I, I kind of hate when everybody gets on the high horse like, oh, they should really tone it down. Grab a headlock, kid. It's like, you know what, yeah, I mean, it would be great if they were a little safer, but you know what, again, they're fucking adults, and they're going to do what they're going to do, and Kota Bushi makes it a sport to land on his head and neck, so. But uh, the, the question here is, like, do you have a Bushi win again, and really lock in this IC title run, and avoid, like, the flip-flop booking? Because, like, if you do that, you've done a great job of really establishing him, because at the same point, like, Naito, you know, I know a lot of people aren't going to like to hear it, feels like he's kind of on the downturn to me. Not in terms of popularity, but I do worry about him breaking down physically. He has bad knee issues, he reportedly has a neck issue, and he's been taking it really easy for a while. So, I mean, you know, maybe it's best to have a Bushi win, and then Naito, I mean, because you can always in the G1... Because a lot of people think that they're going to do Naito and Okada at one of the uh, Wrestle Kingdoms here coming up. You could always do Naito loses this match, goes through the G1, and then in like maybe the block final, or not the block final, but like the final night before the finals or the final, maybe that's when he overcomes Ibushi on way to getting his world title shot. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, you can make an argument for either guy winning, but... I think you have a Bushi win to firmly keep him established, and then you have Naito get the return win during the G1. 
that's along the lines of, of what I'm thinking as well, because Naito, I, I don't, I don't think he's cooled down. Definitely, definitely not in terms of popularity. In terms of like matches, I, I don't know. He he looks healthy enough to me. This match will probably be great, and we'll be like, all right, well, if he's banged up, fuck. He he doesn't seem to care because he's still going out there and having having classics. So whatever. Um, at the same time, Naito clearly has never cared about this title, and I think that's kind of the story you tell moving forward is all right ibushi wins this match and they they like doing this with naito we, we saw it last year where naito kind of lost the these bigger matches and then finally came back and got the got the big win um at wrestle kingdom uh, against jericho and so you've had it like he's also bushi once he loses to ibushi here the 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 talk for years and we know gay at least as early as this past year uh has been naito okada at at the dome at wrestle kingdom um and we know gato likes to book a year out and typically doesn't kind of go away from those plans unless he's forced to so if that still is in the cards and they really got so many good directions like osprey is so hot right now ibushi is already super hot and is probably only going to get hotter okada's okada tanahashi's tanahashi jay white is even in the mix like we'll, we'll talk about the aew relationship if you bring any of those guys in or back or whatnot so they've got plenty of options where it's like yeah this guy can headbutt the dome if you are stuck on the the naito okada match naito loses here goes to the g1 wins the g1 beats ibushi usually uh, you know if you beat the champion that sets up a title shot and Naito was just like, I beat you. I never gave a fuck about that title. I don't care about that title. I have the briefcase now. And so I, I'm not worried about getting this title shot. I'm on to, to bigger and better things. And that like that's that. You don't have to come back with Abushi and Naito for the, the third or fourth time, um, you know, down the, uh, later on this year. That feels like in, in my kind of fantasy booking world uh, the direction they're going to go but this really is just a toss-up and you can't go wrong with either guy it just ibushi is having a good run with the title can have a great run with the title he wants to re-establish the title to where it was during the nakamura days where it's like this belt can headline over the 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 iwgp heavyweight title and I think you've got to keep that going here. You can't keep flipping it back and forth, especially going back to Naito, who, yeah, it's just, he never cared about the belt. That never defined him. It was whatever to him. And then he either loses it before the G1, or, yeah, I mean, maybe he doesn't win the G1, and then he's still the, the Intercontinental Champion. But if Naito wins the, the G1, he doesn't need the Intercontinental title. Fair enough. So we move on to the main event of the evening, IWGP Heavyweight Champion, Kazuchika Okada, defending against your favorite drunk uncle, Chris Jericho. Now, Jericho announced his return via video package, revealing that he would be challenging for the title at this show. And right away, and I, I think rightfully so, there was criticism over the booking because Jericho was just walking back in and getting an IWGP title shot coming off of a loss at Wrestle Kingdom. And that is not something New Japan typically does. And I get the frustration, I understand it, and I don't really disagree with it. 
because it makes sense to be upset about it when you're looking at a company that is usually so logical and follows through on a lot of the booking stuff with just simplicity and logic. But I understand why they're doing the match. Uh, first of all, you don't want to run through another New Japan uh, main roster challenger and put them in a position like Sonata's in now. Because Sonata just lost again to an Okada, like his sixth loss to him. And you've just burnt another title challenger. So you don't want to do that. Secondly, Jericho and Omega is still a pretty big dream match in 2019. And while Jericho has been performing at a high level, I think that you need to pull the trigger while you have the chance. Because Jericho, while he is in good shape for his age and he's doing his DDP yoga and he's working hard, he's been extremely lucky not to have serious injury throughout his career. But the older he gets, the more risk there is that he could get hurt. I don't wish him getting hurt by any means, but I'm just looking at reality here. Bad things could happen. Uh, so then next of all, we're looking, you know, Dominion is basically like the second biggest show of the year. You need a marquee match to headline it. You had Okada and Omega previously, and now you have Okada and Jericho. And I think it works really well. And then the other thing I really do like about it is, you know, Jericho is not working high flying style and he's not working fast paced grappling classics and shit. He's working his old man brawl style now, which I approve of. That is not a slight, people, okay? Please don't get upset by that. It's just what it is. He's working an older brawling style, which is fitting of his condition right now and what he wants to do. Plus, it makes him different from what he used to be and pretty much everybody else. The thing is, is that match style is going to take Okada out of his comfort zone which is something a lot of people like to complain about and that Okada always works the same style of stuff and that while it may be great, they don't like it. So hopefully this leads to a very different style of match from Okada. And I think that's what honestly really excites me about this. I guess I, the other thing too now is everybody's assuming that Okada is just going to walk in, they're going to work 30 minutes and he's going to win. No questions asked and that is very likely the scenario that's going to happen. But I think, Jeremy, that you can make a case for Chris Jericho to potentially win the championship here. First of all, it would actually be a surprise because I don't think anybody would, outside of me right now, working myself into a shoot, would expect him <laughs> fucking winning the title. Second of all, it would free up the G1 without the champion being involved and the labors of booking around the champion and who can take wins and losses at the right time because Jericho is sure to hell not working the G1. And that should also add more drama to some of the Okada matches in the G1 if he were to go in without the title. Finally, it would be another indication that New Japan may be looking to work with AEW, which we will discuss in a minute. And again, I may have just kind of worked myself into a big old shoot right here. But I think Chris Jericho winning is not out of the question. All right. A lot to unpack there. Um, I, I agree with you that, it, you know, Jericho getting the, the title shot doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the guy just lost. I equate it almost to uh, MMA and that it's a super fight. And, okay, this guy's coming off a loss or, you know, whatnot, or he's uh, – two and one in his last three fights, but it's a super fight. Like it, you've, 
you you can look at it. They cleaned out their division. All right, Jericho isn't I cleaned out the division. I don't know if there is a division, but he he just won the main event of of AEW's first show. So theoretically, he cleaned out the division. He's the top guy in AEW. Um, Okada is the top guy in New Japan. He's got the belt to prove it. So even if all right, Jericho's coming off of a loss in New Japan, but it's still a super fight. And so that's the way you you go with that. And I think that's sort of how they're they're looking at it. Um, and I don't have an issue with that. And that's how I, I that's how I view it. And so I, I think in that context, it, it makes more sense. Um, I think Jericho has a lot to prove in this match because the Kenny Omega match was kind of undelivered or underdelivered. And I don't think Jericho looked great in that match like it was a lot of omega um just being kenny omega and bumping his ass off and doing everything he could to to make it a spectacular match and jericho he he looked like you know i thought he lost a a half step against aj styles a few years ago and then he was like oh fuck that like he had the match with uh omega at wrestle kingdom he's like nope still got it And, and now like he he Again, in the rematch against Omega, he again looked like the guy who has has lost that step. So we will see what he he brings against Okada, who it's almost impossible to have a bad match with. The winner, to me, doesn't seem in doubt. It seems like it will be Okada. You've intrigued me with your ideas, and I would like to subscribe to your newsletter uh, about Jericho winning because... I, you do make some good points on that. The the biggest one, the best point I think of that is not not the surprise factor so much, but the the G one factor of yeah, Jericho's not working the G one. So you can go into that and instead of booking around Okada being the champion and you know doing some some fluke losses or, or setting up future title matches or whatever, it's just these guys know what they're fighting for. They're fighting for a shot at Chris Jericho. And the IWGP heavyweight title at Wrestle Kingdom. And I don't know if Jericho's headlining Wrestle Kingdom, but in theory, that's what they would be fighting for because uh, Jericho would would have the title. And that it's something. And it's 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 also something because Jericho is such a good character where he's going to be like, I came in here, I headlined two Wrestle Kingdom matches. Uh, he'll probably say he won both of them, even though he lost both of them. I, I I beat Okada. I beat your your Rainmaker. I'm not doing your stupid G1. All you guys are fighting for the chance to face me. That's what the G1 is now, a chance to face me. And it's, you know, it, it's it's right up Chris Jericho's alley. And I, I'm not talking myself into it, I, I think, as much as you have, but it it can make sense and now if chris jericho wins it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world because you can go somewhere with it but i still think okada ends up winning i mean i i think it's very likely that he's retaining but i just i think there's an argument to be made and i I made it and hey if i'm right i'll take a big old victory lap and if not i'm just fucking wrong so what are you gonna do (laughs) oh whatever i mean we've all been wrong before and yeah, when you're right, those are the ones that count more. Yeah, so I mean, again, that's a 
That's 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 the minion. It looks like it is a potentially another great show. Best of the Super Junior's final was excellent. So uh, we'll yeah we'll see what happens. But uh, got a lot of potential on this card. And uh, as we talked about a little bit over these uh, previewing and reviewing the last uh, stuff here, uh, I kind of want to talk about the potential for the AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling working relationship. And again, it's just a possibility type thing right now. And um, I think, first of all, what we need to talk about before we get into just the meat of it is the fact that uh, how the Lucha companies kind of affect things. Because you have New Japan right now who works with CMLL and have had a relationship with them for a while, do the Fantastica Mania shows every year. Uh, you have guys that come in and work best Super Juniors, and it is a good relationship. Plus, CMLL works with Ring of Honor already. You kind of have that little triumphant of a relationship there, and I mean, it seems like most everybody is happy. And then right now, you have AEW who is going to work with AAA, which AAA and CMLL not on the same page. And you know, again, so the one thing you have to look at is. If if New Japan wants to think about possibly dropping out of the alignment of working with Ring of Honor, they're going to probably end up losing the CMLL tie. So right away, I think the first thing you have to look at is, is not so much are they willing to cut bait with Ring of Honor, are they willing to cut bait with CMLL as well? So that's like the first thing. So your thoughts, Jay? That Yeah, that's kind of an underrated aspect of all of this and that you know everyone in and i've said it before too like aew is the better option for new japan it, it just they have the better talent they they have they have the bigger stars they would probably do more with the relationship than just use new japan to to boost ticket sales and, and to boost their their own name because as it stands roh is a pretty cold company. Um, but it's not just, all right, who are you choosing AEW or, or ring of honor? It's who are you choosing AEW and AAA or ring of honor and CMLL and CMLL has been very good to new Japan. And that seems like the tougher choice of, of cutting ties with CMLL over cutting ties with, with ring of honor, because I mean, CML provides them with with just more. Uh, the relationship seems better. They they do the Fantastic Mania uh, events, the the best of Super Junior stuff. A lot of the ROH guys or the New Japan guys work the CMLL events, and they always seem to to do well there. They're they're highly promoted, and yeah, that that one to me is the the bigger kind of relationship of relationship choice of, of what you're going to do is I still think it's a, a pretty easy choice because I don't think you're getting too much out of CMLL that even AAA can you can't replace with because uh, you can get Phoenix and, and Pentagon and uh, anybody else I'm not super up to date on AAA I apologize LA Park I think is there uh, like you can you can get those guys as well but I think New Japan sees more value in the CMLL relationship and, and trying to keep them happy and not wanting to upset them than they do the 
ROH relationship where they're like, ah, fuck it. Like, we know what we're getting out of AEW. Like, this is just clearly a better relationship. You guys haven't done quite enough for us. Um, I still think that the AEW AAA option is better. And maybe New Japan can swing something to where they're like, hey, we can work with CMLL and um, AEW. Maybe, like, New Japan might have that cachet at this point. So I wouldn't put it put it past them to just, they're allowed to, to pick whoever they want. And we'll see. It's It would certainly be a coup in, in New Japan's cap if they were able to just... Yeah, we'll take AEW and CMLO. That's who we choose to work with. That That's what we're going to go with. And the rest of y'all figure it out. The next point is, is if you're New Japan Pro Wrestling and you already have this, you have a, a strong agreement with ROH and CMLL and you already have the ability to use Chris Jericho, John Moxley, and Kenny Omega without an official agreement... Do you need to make an official agreement when you can kind of have the best of both worlds by having your already long-standing agreement and then the access to major stars on occasion to boost big shows? I think you you need the agreement once television starts because AEW guys aren't going to be as available once once television starts and that's when i think aew will be a little bit more stringent on yeah we're, we're not sending chris jericho over there we're not sending john moxley over there because we're running weekly tv we we're, we're building towards uh four or five big events a year we've got an event regardless ever month every month like you we we can't we can't send this guy to japan and and lose him for a tour or even a big show at this point. Um, so I, I think I think that's when you need the agreement. Right now, it, it's, it's really working out fine for New Japan because they've got their deals in place and they're still getting the, you know, the, the top AEW guys. But that's because AEW, they're allowing just about anybody to work wherever they want. I'm sure the, even the Young Bucks, if they really said – Hey, we want to go work uh, Dominion, and we want to we want to work Rapongi again. It's like AEW, I mean, they, they're fucking co-executive vice presidents. So they just be like, we're gonna do it because we don't have anything else wrestling wise going on. But once the full time schedule starts, that's going to be cracked down on. That not only for the top guys, even the independent guys. Like you're not gonna see as much of. Janela or MJF or, or these guys on, you know, working every independent show under the sun. I think that's the, uh, the best point is that, uh, when the TV comes into play is probably going to be when things potentially change because yeah, as you said, AEW is going to be more careful about, you know, you know, we can't let this guy be gone during this time because we're building towards so-and-so showed trip or nothing or all in and out 15 <laughs> or whatever the fuck they're going to do. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be more, more geared to building their brand, their product, their TV. And yeah, it's like if you set something up long enough in advance, that's fine. But you know, day-to-day operation and stuff. Yeah. You're probably going to, probably going to want something official. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and, there. And you don't know how kind of that stuff works because 
they they don't want to send like a Kenny Omega over there because obviously Omega is going to be one of their big stars. You don't want to send Kenny Omega over there and then like do the Abushi match or have them team with Abushi. You're giving, especially if you don't have a working relationship with these guys, like you're giving New Japan and theoretically even a little boost to ROH if ROH is smart enough. I mean, if if I know New Japan is booking a Golden Lovers reunion. I'm fucking sending my world champion over there and getting him on that show and getting him a victory and, and boosting the ROH profile as well. And I I don't know if I, I feel like ROH can do this. I feel like this is where they have just missed opportunities is why isn't someone in Japan this weekend for for this show uh, with, with Chris Jericho and John Moxley on it? Why like why isn't Jeff Cobb there? Why isn't the fucking Jay Lethal there? You should have somebody representing your company. So Kevin Kelly has to mention Ring of Honor and, and people might be more interested in, in checking it out. I think this is like this is where the New Japan ROH relationship is just very one sided to me. And that and that where ROH just they only take advantage of it when it suits them. And even then they don't take advantage of it enough. Um, but, but back to my original point, you're not sending Kenny Omega over there to boost new Japan's profile. If you don't have a working relationship with them and also risking Kenny Omega getting hurt, like Omega is not fucking going over there and, and working uh, a five. He's going out there to, to bust his ass and put everything on the line. And Kenny Omega works a, a rough high risk, uh, high octane style. He could easily bust an ankle. Um, and then you don't have Kenny Omega for however long and all because you sent them to a company that you don't have an actual agreement with. So yeah, it, once television starts, you've either got to have an agreement in place or you can't be sending these guys to, to new Japan. I also think another thing to consider is and a lot of people don't see it, but it's there. I, I, I really do think that since the G1 Supercard. That relationship as, it, between ROH and New Japan is strained because you look at the War of the Worlds tour, and no offense to individuals, yeah, they, sent, they sent Evil and Sonata, Evil Sonata, Sonata, Nagata, Kojima, and the Dojo Lions from LA. Fucking NWA got Nagata and Kojima, so yeah, that that barely counts as anything. So me. I mean, like, yeah, so I mean. I think you could look at something there. They sure the fuck didn't send Naito, and they didn't send Ibushi. You know, there was no Tanahashi. Obviously, he was hurt, but there was no Okada. They didn't send anybody resembling a big name. And then you look at, you know, I mean, they, you know, Brody King got some run here in the Best Super Junior Tour, which was nice to see. But then, yeah, like, you look at Dominion. What is the ROH involvement? You're, you're telling me, I mean, I mean, is R okay... Maybe maybe it's this. Was ROH stupid enough that they couldn't even fucking approach New Japan and be like, hey, you know, we got a match, that, you know, or hey, you know what? The Briscoes are free. Why don't we do, you know, we're doing them and the Gorillas in June or July for the tag titles. Why don't the Briscoes go over and challenge them for the IWGP titles at Dominion? Play into that feud. Give us a fresh tag match for fuck's sake, like Jeremy said earlier. Um, but yeah, you're telling me you can't get anybody on that fucking card. We know Skrull and Brody King are over there. I realize <laughs> they just lost to 
Okada and Rocky Romero and giving them a tag team title shot after that loss doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you can't get them on the card. You can't get... We know Bandito's over there. We know Gresham is over there. Like There is New Japan representation or Ring of Honor representation over in Japan j- just from the, the best of Super Juniors. You can't get any of these guys on the Dominion card, even as in like some multi-man tag team match, just to where Kevin Kelly just has to say New J- or has to say Ring of Honor. Like he, he's with nobody representing. He'll probably name drop Ring of Honor because he's a he's a good commentator, and there's have been guys who have worked Ring of Honor and whatnot. But you, you've got to have them mention that relationship a little bit more and, and try to just bring new eyeballs to it because right now it's it's really they're they're not utilizing it that well like aew is using utilizing a non-existent relationship with new japan more than than ring of honor because aew has one of their top guys as a fucking champion in new japan and the other one of their top guys in the main event challenging the champion of new japan so they're doing pretty well for this uh non-relationship here yeah, it's uh it's kind of staggering how ROH couldn't couldn't get anybody on here. Nothing. Get just... Matt Taven over there to beat somebody. The <laughs> Kingdom, the Kingdom can't go over there and beat Makabe and uh, Hanma and and um, Yano or something. Yeah, th- something. Yeah, fuck. I mean, I'm not like a big fan of the Kingdom overall, but they're decent. Fucking send them over there. Haven't beat Taguchi, Makabe, and uh whoever the fuck else is a six-man tag team champions right now just do something fuck anything you've got got to get your name out there and you've got to get your stars and this is the problem with ring of honor is they don't have anybody that just feels like a star i mean who you're not sending you can't i love jay lethal i i do think you can do jay lethal and okada not to headline dominion but you can do that match there's no one else where you're like, oh, hey, this feels like a, a, a big match. Like This is a match that can headline this show against like an Okada. Whereas if you, with AEW, you send over Moxley, you send over Omega, you send over fuck, even the Bucks, Cody, and, and obviously Chris Jericho, that, that's five, six guys right there of, yeah, that all those guys can be main event or co-main event guys on literally any new japan show out there including wrestle kingdom the problem with jay lethal and you know i love jay lethal and i think he's great the problem is is that when he's worked in japan his uh stuff with new japan has been very lackluster uh part of it is because the crowd doesn't react because they don't know him and just I, i don't know if it's lost in translation is the best phrase to use for it but he's just he doesn't feel like he clicks in new japan and for somebody that I, mean, I think is very good, I find it surprising. This is where it's just he's not an actual star. He's a star in Ring of Honor because he's been built well there. And he's, you know, one of their, if not their most decorated champion of all time. But that doesn't translate anywhere else in the world. And it sucks because Jay Lethal is very good. Like he's he's supremely, supremely talented. And I think if you give Jay Lethal like a best of Super Juniors run, like by the end of it, and you actually have him win matches and stuff, he's not just kind of like a mid-card guy. Uh, like by the end of it, he probably would get over 
huge. I, like, I, I think a best of Super Juniors run for Jay Lethal, where he's in a, let, let's say, a Ishimori kind, kind of role, probably does more for Jay Lethal than anything ROH has done for him as their world champion uh, over, the, over the past couple of years. But the, like, that's the hang-up, is Jay Lethal, to the Japan audience, is not any kind of a star. Moxley's never worked in Japan, uh, at least not any time recently, but this guy comes in and is immediately a star. And yeah, the like WWE reach has something to do with that. And the same thing with Chris Jericho. Obviously, Omega, Cody, the Bucks, like they have actual ties uh, with with New Japan previously. But these ROH guys, none of them are, are looked at as like any kind of stars. Like you can't send Matt Taven to New Japan and then like headline anything with him. You need to headline a road to show or something, but you're not headlining Dominion or King of Pro Wrestling or uh, anything like that with, with Matt Taven. Yeah. The the problem with like the lethal thing is you can't do best super juniors with him because he's an established uh, heavyweight and they've always booked him as a heavyweight there. And then the other thing is it's like, ROH would probably look at that as like a slap in the face. A G1 run would be something, but again, I just think that his overall clash over in, in the past of how he's worked with guys, I just, I don't know if it would be for the best, but I think it would be the best chance to get him over and make him a star. But then, of course, if you were to make me choose like Jay Lethal and Jeff Cobb, I'm going to get Jeff Cobb all day working G1. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah, I mean, whether it's Chef Cobb, whether it's Shea Lethal, if Jeff Cobb gets a G1 run, great. They will probably do more for him than, than Ring of Honor has. But this just goes, once again, to speak, like John Moxley might do a G1 run. And if that happens and they get you know, a Moxley G1 run over anybody in ROH, and if Jeff Cobb gets one, fine. But Moxley's going to be treated as a bigger star. Like, the the company you don't have any ties with, you're going to treat their guy as the bigger star than the company that you're theoretically trying to help out because you have a relationship with. And if I'm ROH, either I I they are dumb and they just they haven't taken advantage, like they haven't approached New Japan and said, like, hey, why can't we, you know, do this or do that? And if they have and they're still getting shot down. Like ROH probably is in a position to say, yeah, let's just cut this relationship off on our own. But if I'm them, I'm pissed about this whole thing. Yeah. I'm going to take Gato backstage and threaten him. I mean, if they're not asking for things, then they're fucking stupid, first of all. And if they're not getting it, um, then, yeah, the, the fucking relationship just isn't is not going well for them. So we've had this relationship going on for a while. And I guess the last point to talk about is just loyalty. Um, obviously, uh, in Japan and even in business, loyalty is a big factor. And part of the rise in the popularity of New Japan back when they were still doing the their major shows on like iPay-Per-View and stuff was uh, coming from the ROH relationship because they started getting their uh, guys on a little more exposure in the U.S., and then you had a lot of U.S. fans buying these high pay-per-views. And then the company started making more money. They started to grow. But then on the other hand, please don't forget that part of the growth of ROH over the past few years came directly from the New Japan involvement. 
because you had an association with a hot New Japan product, and then it started off when you had AJ and the Bucks working there for a while. And, it, you know, you go from AJ and the Bucks and how it traveled through with the various Bullet Club members and everything, and it was just a constant flow of those guys in there, which at times overtook the ROH product, and ROH did that to themselves, and I wrote about it when the whole when the guys left. I mean, ROH basically gave the keys to the kingdom to SCU, the Bucks, Adam Page, Cody, and them, and said, "Do whatever creatively, and you know we'll we'll okay it." And while it sold tickets and it you know made for entertaining matches and some good shows, the problem was is you let those dudes make themselves into stars so that they could go make their own fucking company. ROH, I mean, if they had a, a, a do-over, they probably don't allow all-in to happen. Or if they do allow it to happen, they benefit more from it because there wasn't too much like ROH. You you didn't know how much of an influence ROH had on that show outside of these guys are ROH guys and you used ROH security and you used honor club and you used pretty much everything you could out of them. Uh, but ROH didn't like see any type of popularity boost or anything from it. It really was just kind of the elite guys. And that's why they were able to parlay that into their own company. And it's ROH is just a bad business all around right now <laughs> they they're not hot they they don't have anything interesting going on they're not even like they used to be able to hang their hat on hey we got great matches if nothing else we we've got joe we've got punk we've got styles we got daniels um we've got the the briscoes again like we do the the czw invasion like we're gonna we we can bring in the new japan guys like uh kabashi and all this stuff and and, uh, brian danielson like we've we've got the talent. We're putting on the the best matches you're going to find anywhere in the world. What was the last good ROH match where you're like, yeah, that that match just fucking rolled, and that that's the top top match of the month of the week, whatever. Like you you watch ROH way more than I do. You've seen all these big shows. What's the last great ROH match where you were like? That's a match that topped just about anything I saw this week. I honestly can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, yeah, it's been a long time since something has been like that interesting to me from ROH. Like, I don't think there's a lot of bad, but there's just a lot of there. Yeah, they have like they have good matches. Like, you look at the G1 Supercard, and all right, the latter match was good. I, I do think the. Uh, the Matt Taven, Jay Lethal draw was good. Jay, um, the best wrestler in the world, Shane Taylor and Jeff Cobb had a, had a really good match earlier this year. They've had some good stuff. They, they've had some borderline great stuff. But then you look at what New Japan is doing. You look at what NXT is doing. You, you look at what AEW did in one show. And it, it puts anything you see in ROH to, to real shame. And it's like, they don't have an identity anymore. It's what we talked about um, at the New Japan uh, show at the G1 Supercard. Is you know what's their identity? 
like they're trying to be WWE extra light with fucking shoot stuff with Enzo and Cass that is going nowhere, has gone nowhere. I did, what was the point of that whole nonsense? Like that just made you've done nothing to follow up on that. And I'm not saying this was a great angle, but you had some intrigue there and then you've done nothing. Like right now, ROH is literally their biggest story is Bully Ray is taking fans backstage and, and threatening them and telling them to, I guess in his, his words, he didn't threaten them, but he's taking fans backstage for being too rowdy, which this guy used to incite riots in ECW. That's the biggest story in ROH right now. Nothing else. Well, that's because he's all upset because it involved his girlfriend this time. Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and Mandy Leone and the the, the 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 lizard man and all this shit like, but that says something about this company where, yeah, all right, WWE is going to Saudi Arabia. That's a whole mess and blood money and stuff. At least WWE knows how to get out in front and create a different story, a different narrative. Like they might have a women's match. They. Uh, you know, they got Brock, they got Goldberg, they got The Undertaker. Like, hey, don't pay attention of that we're going to Saudi Arabia. Pay attention to these legends we're bringing back and, and shit. Like, ROH can't even try to mask their uh, their problems, like their, their bad publicity right now with something of, hey, but we got this going on, so don't pay attention to the bad stuff. Pay attention to this. Like, there's just nothing going on in this company. Except Shane Taylor, best wrestler in the world. Yeah, I I don't know, man. It's just uh it feels like a big old messy situation. And um you know, on the surface, I mean Okay, I guess there's there's a, just a question, honest answer. What is the biggest asset ROH has to offer New Japan at this stage? Either Jeff Cobb or or Jay Lethal. Like those are the two best wrestlers maybe like maybe bandito they've got good wrestlers bandito roosh um i'm blanking on jonathan gresham like they've got some some good talent but again none of these guys feel like actual stars like you can't go over there and headline with these guys they're just good wrestlers and aew has plenty of good wrestlers every company in the world has good wrestlers right now there are so many good wrestlers out there and all right, you you bring over a Jay Lethal, like cool. Jay Lethal's not boosting your business. Bandito's not boosting your business. Jeff Cobb's not boosting your business. Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, John Moxley, the Bucks, Cody, like, they're boosting your business. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. That's the thing. It's just I sit there and I look at the ROH product, and it's it's Bully not Ray will bad. boost their business. Oh fuck, Bully Ray. <laughs> But seriously, though, it's like you, you look at the ROH product, and it's not bad. The problem is, though, that it just sort of exists. And in some ways, that's almost worse than being bad. I mean, look at Impact, too. It's in that same thing. I mean, Impact runs some good pay-per-views. Their TV is always solid and makes sense. But it's just nobody's watching on Pursuit. Like 12,000 people watch on Pursuit, and then you got anywhere from six to 10,000 people watching on Twitch a week. And that's it. And otherwise, there's no real buzz around the company outside of 
Killer Cross wants out of his contract, and Jordan Grace didn't sign a contract, and then did sign a contract. Scarlett Bordeaux wants out of Impact. It's like, that's the big news that the company brings, and that's not good either. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I would not be shocked at all if if New Japan tried to get out of the relationship to work with AEW more full-time. But, again, as we talked about, though, it's just not as easy as everybody thinks it's going to be. Because you have to take into account the relationship with CMLL, uh, you know, the potential breakdown of that and everything. And the loyalty factor, I think, will play a lot into it. So we'll see what happens. And I think you are right, though, in one regard, Jeremy, that uh, it's probably going to get more intensified once we get closer to AEW being on TV. Yeah, that's when the they people really got decisions to make. And I don't know how these relationships work. I don't know if there's actual contracts and, or if it's just a handshake agreement and you can end it whenever you want. Like if there's an actual contract, then, you know, you got to wait until that kind of expires. If it's just a, a handshake thing and that that is what it is and you can kind of sever that whenever you want and okay, you might look like the bad person, but fuck it. I'm going to go with whoever's making me the money. Like, I don't care if I piss off ROH. What have they done for me? Well, who's going to look worse? A company that walks away from an underperforming partnership to find a better one or a company that routinely goes to Saudi Arabia for blood money. I mean, I think I'll walk (laughs) away from the shoddy relationship and take my chances with that one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's what we got for today. Uh, Jeremy and I will be back in a few days. We will talk the fun of super saudi showdown and we will talk about dominion and all kind of other things and oh my god saturday sunday friday we got saudi showdown saturday night is fucking ufc which is actually a good card and then like right as ufc ends uh dominion starts so i'm not sleeping a wink on saturday night i will not be watching ufc i will be watching a night you can't miss brought to you by impact wrestling and hard- <laughs> hardcore I feel so bad for you. I really feel bad for you. We got Donald Cerrone and uh, Tony Ferguson on UFC, man. Cowboy. You know Cowboy's going to deliver. This is true. You got you get to watch Tommy Dreamer in the main event. Tommy Dreamer in 2019 <laughs> in another main event. God bless that son of a bitch. It's amazing. Oh, I, I'm sorry you have to watch that instead of what should be an excellent UFC show. That's okay. But yeah, we'll be back later. We'll talk about the uh, the fun weekend shows. And remember, you can follow the 411 on Wrestling Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411 Mania website. Please make sure to subscribe and share us around. We would greatly appreciate it. Our subscribers keep growing. We love you guys and appreciate it. And if you have time, leave a five-star review on iTunes. So again, Jeremy and I will be back in a few days, and we will talk about Dominion and other things. Stay safe and happy wrestling, everybody.